welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Have you ever considered building your very own sales playbook? Did you know that a sales playbook is a necessary tool when you're increasing sales success and accountability? This episode is brought to you by our latest ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Creating and Managing a Sales Playbook. In it, you'll find a step-by-step model for creating a sales playbook for your business. Make sure to go ahead and grab your copy today. You can find a link in today's show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 183. So it is September, which is a little crazy to believe. And our theme for this month is sales playbooks. We are talking and and learning all about how they can help improve sales process. We'll be talking to our various podcast guests about it and also writing a lot on the blog. So you can check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog if you want to learn more about sales playbooks. This is Elizabeth Frederick. I know I might not sound exactly like myself. I've had a bit of a cold lately, um, but that's me. And today I am very excited about our guest. I am speaking to the founder and president of a sales training and consulting company called Selling to the Point. He has over 30 years of sales training experience, and he authored an excellent book called Selling to the Point because the information age demands a new way to sell. He is based in beautiful, beautiful Pacific Palisades, California, and I will wish that I um, was on that side of the country in just a very few months. Our guest today is Jeff Lipsis. I'm so glad to have you here, and welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I just shared a few highlights from your bio, um, but obviously a bio is not a person, and you are a lot more than that. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, I know they a lot of times like to hear about kind of uh, the steps along the journey that got you to where you are today. Yes. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, We were talking earlier in the show because right now the U.S. Open tennis is playing. And in fact, I was a, a tournament tennis player and and adopted this new uh, coaching approach to help my mm-hmm. performance called Inner Game. And I read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galloway, who's commonly known as the father of modern coaching, best-selling sports book ever, The Inner Game of Tennis, and used it to really improve my tennis game. And I got to know Tim, actually, went to a lot of his workshops. And when I went out into the business world to become a salesperson and worked my way up the ranks to be VP of sales and marketing, I talked with Tim and I said, why don't we try applying this inner game approach, which is a very unique counterintuitive approach to performance and peak performance to selling. And we could use my sales force as a laboratory. So Tim and I talked for quite a bit, quite a few years, as a matter of fact, and I would apply mm-hmm. the same principles that I used for my tennis performance now for selling. And sales went through the roof. I developed a new selling approach that Tim worked with me on, um, wrote a book, which Tim endorsed and wrote the forward to. And so now that we have the selling to the point approach, which is a very counterintuitive approach to uh, sales performance. And so here we are today talking about this uh, new way to approach selling. I absolutely love that. As you said, um, as we were kind of preparing to record today, um, tennis came up. And it's just so funny because um, I do think a lot of times people use sports analogies in business because it is, it's very natural, especially when it comes to sales. You know, sports are competitive and sales is competitive. Mm-hmm. And in sales, we want to win. And in sports, we want to win. And so sure. there are these kind of natural overlaps. But a lot of times, it's kind of um, very big picture that people think about it. But um, we see very often that people who are successful in sales um, or who become involved in kind of sales leadership and management it's a stereotype, I think, because it's based on some truth. A lot of them um, played competitive sports at some point. And I think that there are things that you can learn about self-discipline and about focus and about, um, you know, even just um, just motivation that that really carry through from sports to um to sales and to leadership. And so I, it's a it's a great story and, and a common story that we hear. Well, yes, uh, the, the common thread 
between sports and sales is performance. They're mm -hmm. both performance activities. And what you said about focus, that's really key. That, that's the, the key to everything because the formula goes, we perform by learning and we learn by observing. Observing requires focus. So the more focused we are, the better we observe, which is the better that we'll learn, which means the better we'll perform. And that's the formula that's in common both with selling and also with sports. So that's why they, they seem to be so relatable. Absolutely. I really love, um, love that model. And um, uh, I know we're recording this on actually the Thursday before Labor Day, and this episode is going to be coming out on Labor Day. So uh, the, the weekend in between is kind of the middle weekend of the U.S. Open here in New York. And I was telling Jeff before we recorded today, I actually moved out to New York after um, coming out to visit to watch the U.S. Open. So it's always a special event for me. And we see these big highs and lows um, and, and really the big emotional moments. Um, and those are sometimes what we see in sales. But I really like that kind of day-to-day -day, um, working and practicing um, and basic playing of sports that happens. And I think that's more maybe aligned with what most people's sales experiences are. They're not always at that big level of, um, of an open. But, you know, we, we, we put our head down and we practice every day and we play our matches and we and – we, um, we look to see success. So great analogy. Yeah. Let me add an element to that, which is what I said about learning in terms of the link between focus and performance is learning. The, the more we focus, the more we learn, the better we perform. Now, the tennis players on the tennis court, while they're playing, hopefully they're learning. Hopefully they're learning about their opponent's weakness. Hopefully mm -hmm. they're learning about uh, the, their strategy as they go along, how much stamina they have during the day. Maybe they're uh, working on a different set of shots. So while the player is playing, they're also learning. And here's the question I want to pose to you. Is it possible to learn as much from a tennis match that you lose as a tennis match that you won? I think a lot of times, actually, people almost learn more when they lose than when they win. Because when we lose, a lot of times people are more self-reflective and people are thinking about why did I, you know, why did I lose? What did I do wrong? And sometimes we, unfortunately, when we win, we don't take the time to reflect on what was it that made us win. Maybe that's just me, but I think people tend to have that negativity bias. And so they're actually almost more open to learning about the losses than the wins. And I think you need to be learning equally in both. Absolutely. Uh, whether we win or lose, we should always be learners. Because like I said, learning is the link between focus and performance. Now, let's relate that to selling. Can you learn as much from a sale that you didn't get as you can from a sale that you did get. And see, this is actually the funniest thing because this is where I see that a lot of times, if we go back to sports, people, athletes, coaches will focus more on maybe the losses than the wins. I think in sales, people have a tendency to focus more on the wins than the losses. Mm -hmm. And I think just like in sports where you should be learning equally from both, in sales, you should be learning equally from both. And doing those lost deal analysis to figure out, you know, this is not a blame game. We're not attacking anybody, but we want to see why do, why are we losing deals? And it we might discover that maybe we need to make changes to our approach or our products or our services, whatever they are. And so often I think um, people are a little hesitant to do those lost deal analysis and maybe don't realize that, that they could be addressing things and there's a lot that they could be learning from them. So that's a great analogy, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could have an interaction where I didn't get the sale and afterwards I could do an analysis and say, well, you know, I should have said this. Well, next time I'll make sure to say this. So I learned and improved from the result I got. So the focus was noticing what happened during the interaction. And then the learning is, well, what could I do next time to do it differently? 
and be a salesperson who's in a constant level of improvement, whether I get the sale or didn't get the sale. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because salespeople many times view themselves more in the role of teacher than learner. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, as I was saying, as a tennis player, you're going to be noticing your opponent's weaknesses. Okay. As a salesperson, what are you learning? Well, you're learning about your customer. That's Absolutely. Where the focus, well, <laughs> you could say that, but a lot of salespeople are more thinking about the training that they had in the home office and what the man mm -hmm. told them to say and what they need to say in order to get that pat on the back from the manager, then reacting to the customer and learning the customer's beliefs and values and priorities and challenges and goals are all things that uh, when salespeople learn this, they're better at responding, which makes them more successful in the long run. And it all starts with focus. Focus Absolutely. leading to learning. So the salesperson in the role of learner can never go wrong. You know, we talk about salespeople being in slumps and having self-doubt because they maybe get a string of sales that they lose and not feel so good about themselves anymore. But when you adopt the role of learner, you can't lose because you're always going to learn as much as you possibly can from every interaction. I really love that. And I think uh, a trap that salespeople can fall into is feeling like your role and responsibility is educating your potential buyers. Mm -hmm. And people don't typically buy because you've educated them. Yeah. They do need to discover your value, yeah. but buyers want to do that on their own. And I think we're, we're just about to get into um, your approach with your book and, and you really address this, but it's so important as a salesperson to think about, I don't want to come out of any interaction with a prospective client where I didn't learn something more about their business, about their priorities, about their goals, about who they are as a person and what they're focused on and what problems they're struggling with. And if you can come back to the office and you learned more about them, that means that you can tailor your approach to meet their needs. Um, if instead you're going in there and saying, well, I know I shared with them these five things about us, okay, <laughs> that, that doesn't really help you. You haven't necessarily moved an opportunity forward. Sure. And you have no idea how receptive the customer is to being educated and hearing those things. Because before you're able to talk about your product's features, you have to first discover what the customer feels they need because the customer of course is going to be more receptive and interested in hearing things that they feel is relevant to their situation rather than you know when your company was established and how long it's been <laughs> you know what the shareholders voted last thursday and you know you're, you're just <laughs> not going to maintain their interest we were founded in this year and we're the fastest growing company and we won these five awards. Do you want to sign on the dotted line? Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right. So I want to talk for a bit about your book, Jeff. Um, you had such a unique writing approach and you really have a, a unique selling method that you talk about. Um, and your focus is on selling to the point, which makes sense since that's your company name and the name of your book. Yes. So can you tell our listeners what exactly you mean by the idea of selling to the point? Yes. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well, the point, what is the point of selling? Okay. The point of selling is not selling. The point of selling is buying. And this is what the traditional sales training industry is overlooking. When you go to a typical sales performance workshop teaching salespeople how to be better salespeople, do they focus on selling performance or do they focus on the customer's buying performance? Mm -hmm. Right? They, they focus on the salesperson's selling performance, but where do you get your commission? You get your commission with the customer's buying performance. As a matter of fact, I could have a terrible selling performance and mess up and forget my 
product statements and everything else. But if the customer had a good buying performance and could see the value of the product in spite of my flubs and end up purchasing anyway, yep. I my goal. The customer <laughs> definitely. So the and goal, you could. I've got to interrupt there. You could do everything right and have the absolute perfect selling performance. Uh-huh. And if the customer wasn't ready or they didn't need it or want it, you could lose. <laughs> Absolutely. And, or maybe the customer needed it, but didn't know they needed it. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So it's really more about the customer's buying performance than about the salesperson's selling performance. And that's the point of selling to the point. (laughs) So what I do is I show salespeople where to focus their attention on the customer in order to learn what it's going to take in order to help customers make the best decision. I absolutely love that. And that ties back from the very beginning when we talked about focus as key to drive Mm -hmm. performance. And, you know, we have um, our our um, mission statement is enabling buying in a world of selling. And it's so important to us that salespeople focus on enabling buying, on helping people buy, helping people make the right decision, whether it is to go with your service or sometimes the right decision is a no. And it's better for both you and the buyer to discover that sooner than later, you know, and if, if as a salesperson, you're focused on enabling buying, what that means is you really care about your prospect. You really care about the value that you can add to them. And then you're going to be focused on how can I, how can I help them? So um, I think uh, we're, we're so aligned philosophically. That was one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you. But, um, but you have a very, um, a very specific method of doing this that is really exciting. Yes. Uh, one thing about what you're saying in terms of helping the customer make the best decision, helping them decide if it's appropriate, if your product's appropriate for them or not. I mean, this, this gets to the whole underlying negative stigma to the selling profession, because most salespeople want the customer to buy the product under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. The customer's goal is to make the best decision. Well, those are two different goals, and you have two different goals. You can't work together as a team. So what what you and I are suggesting, Elizabeth, is get on your customer's team with you and work together with the common goal of helping them make the best decision. And if more salespeople do that, we would have a much better reputation in in this uh, selling profession as you know not being manipulative and and not being. Um, insensitive and hard to deal with and all the negative associations that unfortunately get attached to uh, salespeople these days. Definitely. And if you think about it, um, this is where also I think sales can cause friction within their organization because as a salesperson, maybe I can convince somebody to buy when it wasn't the best solution for them. And then I throw this, this customer over to my delivery team, whether it's a, a service that they're going to have to work on an ongoing basis or for a product that isn't a good fit. And then my poor delivery team, customer service, all these other departments, why did you sell this to them? This isn't what they need. This isn't what they want. And I'm putting a lot of pressure on my organization and, you know, breaking down some internal relationships because I was so desperate to close that deal. Oh, yeah. The, this whole subject of decision quality, the, the, the quality of the customer's decision process is really understated in sales because even if it's not a situation where it's going to affect other people in the company. I mean, just the fact that a sales, a, a customer would buy a product because of the salesperson's urging, whether it's the salesperson being dynamic or taking control of the conversation or whatever it is. If, if the customer buys the product for reasons that have to do with the salesperson, it's going to be a lower quality decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would need customers to follow through after the sale. And this doesn't, first thing that's not talked about, you know, once you get the sale, you're out of there and 
it's like a cloud as far as what the customer does with the product after that. But it's really not a cloud. It's really very important for the company what the customer does once the salesperson leaves because yes. you need customers to use the product. You need customers to reorder the product. You need customers to tell your competitors to get lost because I'm happy with what I have. You need customers to give positive reviews. These are all things that are, have to happen when the salesperson's not around. So when the salesperson makes an effort to really explore within the customer why they want to buy the product and buy the product for the customer's reasons and really have the customer be able to internalize the decision to buy, you know, then you're going to get a level of conviction that endures after the salesperson leaves. It's never talked about in traditional selling, but it's a, a very important issue. And it relates back to what you and I are saying about the importance of the quality of the decision process that a customer uses when they buy the product. Definitely. Even the conversations that are hap happening internally in your customer's organization after a meeting with you, right? Because I think sure. we've all been in a situation where we're a buyer and we're meeting with a salesperson and they're kind of dizzying. <laughs> they're, they're maybe especially charming or they have just the most um, compelling demo that they put together. And we, we have that really powerful experience of like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know this was possible. You get really excited. And then you walk out of that meeting. And if you were to go to your, your manager or your team members, um, you'd say, I, I, I don't even know what it was that I saw. Uh, <laughs> and you can't really speak to what was so compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and, that's that's a really unsettling situation. It is really unlikely that then you're going to be able to compel everybody else on your team to be excited about moving forward with whatever that was. Yes. But if instead you really connect to that salesperson and they're on the same page as you and they're um, understanding your priorities and they're yeah. connecting their offering to your problems and your situation and your goals – then you're going to come back to your team and say, you know how we're struggling with this. This product addresses it in this specific way. Uh -huh. and you know how we have this situation. It's going to help us move forward toward these goals. Uh -huh. And so you're actually enabling that internal sell that needs to happen on the buyer's side when you connect your, your um, offering to what it is that they need. Right. I, that's very important. What you said, internal sell, that's key because buying is internal. <laughs> the buying, the decision process is internal. And again, this is counterintuitive for most salespeople because if I say, oh, I'm a sales trainer, I'm a sales coach, and I'm going to work with the salesperson um, right away, if I say I'm going to work with the internal process of selling, they think I'm talking about the salesperson's mindset. Mm -hmm. But but no, <laughs> the internal aspect of selling is not about the mindset of the salesperson. It's about the mindset of the customer. There's, there's a term for a type of decision that's so clear and so simple and so natural, it's effortless. You know what it's called? A no-brainer. Mm. No <laughs> okay. Definitely. Yeah, a no-brainer. But think about this. When we going back to sports and we talk about peak performance, I would say that the equivalent of sports peak performance in selling is a no-brainer decision. Yeah. Okay, where, where the customer's decision to buy was so clear and so simple that it was effortless. But notice the term no-brainer is referring to the customer's state of mind, not the salesperson's state of mind. And salespeople would love the decision to buy their product to be a no-brainer. But customers want no-brainer decisions too. Absolutely. I can say that as somebody who is who sits in both seats, right? I make yes. buying decisions. I actually was sitting in on a demo today for a tool that we're looking to buy, um, and I'm involved in sales. And it's so easy when there's just one obvious no-brainer, and you don't have to spend a lot of time doing research and figuring things out. Um, as a salesperson, I think a lot of salespeople – 
get really jealous of name brand companies. And they, they think, oh, if I just were to work for one of these top companies that everybody's heard of, I'd be a no-brainer. And I could just kind of come in and give people a price list and say, how much would you like to order? <laughs> um, but it's not just those you know top companies with with a recognizable name that can be positioned as no-brainers there's there's really stuff that you can do as a salesperson that's going to enable um, you to position that way and I know that's that's what you train people on and that's what you talk about yeah and when something would appear to be a no-brainer but for some reason the customer isn't seeing it that way mm -hmm. I have a system for salespeople to be focused on just really three factors that help the customer make better decisions. Because what we're talking about here is coaching, isn't it? I mean, back to sports again, you, you have a, a coach that helps sports performance, but decision-making is also a performance activity. Absolutely. And so having a decision coach, somebody who you trust is going to help make a better decision is really going to help. And I think another thing what you and I are talking about is the coach sits on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's actually the customer who's the performer in the interaction during the sale. And that's important because, well, we want the customer to have that internal conviction, which coaching does. And we also uh, want the customer to to feel empowered on the inside because decision-making takes, takes place within. This is different than how most salespeople look at things. And I'll mm -hmm. give you an example, okay? Because if I say something like, you know, confidence, trust, is that really important? And sure, a salesperson an everyday salesperson would tell me, yeah, I have to have the customer trust me. I have to have the customer be confident that I'm saying the right thing. But that's external confidence. Remember, decision-making is internal. So what's internal confidence? It's the customer's self-confidence in their ability to make a good decision. You can't get a customer to trust you unless they first decide they can trust themselves to decide if they can trust you. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really love that because what we need to recognize when we're selling is that nobody's trained buyers to buy. Right. And especially nobody has trained buyers to buy probably whatever it is that you're trying to sell to them. Yes. And so if you're selling, especially a highly technical solution or something that's complicated, they don't even know what questions they should be asking. Sure. They might not know what prices they should be expecting. Mm -hmm. They might not know what implementation should look like. And so if you're not helping them through this process, if you're not coaching them through this process, they're bewildered, they're confused. And then that, that makes it really difficult to have that internal confidence I'm making the right choice. And if it, I'm 100% agree with you. If they don't feel that, it's so easy to go with the safe approach, which sometimes is do nothing, mm -hmm. or it's go with the big name brand that everybody's heard of um, that's, that's just easy to decide, the no-brainer, because I don't want to make the wrong decision and get fired. Yeah. There's that expression, a confused customer doesn't buy. That, that's very true. Your customers have to be clear on the inside. It's one of the things that a, a coach would do is help the customer with their own internal clarity, with their self-awareness. What are your goals? What is it about this product that's going to solve your solutions? Uh, are you in touch with the pain that not having this product is causing? So these are things that the more a salesperson could get the customer in touch with themselves rather than in touch with their product's features, the more successful that salesperson is going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I just think that's such an important approach, and it's so counterintuitive 
to a lot of people. And it's something that people are, salespeople are getting in their own way. I'm thinking, you know, I need to come in here and tell you, you know, I've got my 10 features that I've got to present to you by the time I leave, Um, not understanding that the buyer doesn't even know the context for why those features are important. Oh, sure. Teaching and learning are two different things. You know, you could have teaching without learning and you could also have learning without teaching. (laughs) You know, teaching is outer and learning is inner. And that's what I'm saying here is the original title of the book that I used for my tennis that relates now back to selling is the inner game of tennis and what's inner. In the case of tennis, it's the player's mindset. In the case of selling, it's the buyer's mindset because decision-making is internal. And and this internal decision process, it's, it's interesting. I, I uh, talked to some of these uh, professors for undergraduate sales leadership courses. There's quite a few universities now that offer a BA in sales leadership like Baylor. Mm-hmm. It's one of them. I look at some of their textbooks. This is really funny, Elizabeth. They have a term for the customer's decision process. You know what it's called, the technical term for that? It's called oh boy. the black box. <laughs> really? it, you say, you, the textbook says that you give this presentation and the presentation goes into the customer's decision, the black box of the customer's decision process, and then they come out with an answer. Magic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question I'll, I'll just pose. So the black box, you call it that because it's a mystery. You know, a salesperson can't hear the gears turning inside their customer's head, of course. But who's that more of a problem for if the black box is a mystery? Is it more of a problem for the salesperson or is it more of a problem for the customer? I, I would say it's both. I yeah. mean, if, well, if, it's a, if it's a black box to the salesperson, that means that they have no idea how to influence it, how to, how to contribute. Sure, but, but the customer can still buy. The customer can buy without the salesperson having any understanding why they did. That, yeah, they might okay. have bought for the wrong reason. They might be expecting something that doesn't exist mm-hmm. um, or have just very unreasonable expectations. Yeah, or maybe it was a good one that the sales, a good reason that the salesperson just wasn't aware of it. It's just, it's just a mystery. Let's turn it around, okay? What if the black box is a mystery to the customer? Okay, <laughs> what if the customer is distracted? What if the customer's confused? What if the customer is overwhelmed, like you were talking about in your example? What if the customer doesn't have a clear goal? If, if, like we're saying, if the black box is a mystery to the customer, if they're not clear within, a salesperson is less likely to get the sale. Confused customers rarely buy. Definitely. And we see this a lot, especially because you have multiple people involved in a buying decision. And so um, I see this when it comes to both buying and even um, hiring, all kinds of other decisions that are made by organizations where every single person involved, every stakeholder has different priorities and they're evaluating things on different scales and they have different um, you know, deal breakers and different criteria and they haven't had the internal conversations to figure out, you know, what are we actually looking for out of this? What are the nice to haves and what are the, the absolute requirements? And, you know, okay, I know Elizabeth really wants this out of the system, but it looks like that's not a standard offering at most of the platforms we're looking at. So um, what will we do if we can't get that? And instead, they're kind of flailing around and I want this and I'm going to get all stubborn and um, and kind of, you know, double down. This one won't work for me. And somebody else says it's my favorite. And, you know, maybe it's somebody's cousin who's selling it. And I didn't know that. And um, it gets really, really complicated because we didn't necessarily do that work of figuring out what is it even that we need. And a good yeah. salesperson can help facilitate that internal conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's more like group coaching. Where, again, whether you're talking about an individual or whether you're talking about a a team of buyers, they need to have clarity. They need to be clear about their goal. And that's very important. So when when I talk to salespeople about clarity, they're thinking about external clarity, which is 
knowing the features of my product. And I'm saying the real priority is the internal clarity and the customer's self-awareness, whether it's a single customer or whether it's working as a team, having the self-awareness of the needs, of the uh, value that they're looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I feel like we could probably keep talking about this forever, but I know um, I know we have some other areas that we want to address in this conversation. But just in general, I think you know the, the key points that I'm hearing and that I know people, if they want to learn more, they should definitely be reading your book and um, and and exploring working with you is is really you know continuing that focus on how can we actually impact that customer's decision-making process and really get to the point of where they are. Um, so it's not a black box, not yeah. a mystery. It's not a black box. It's not a mystery. And it's not an intervention. You ever see that TV mm-hmm. show intervention where, <laughs> you know, you, you just gang up on somebody and, and most people look at selling as an intervention where you're just going to tell the person what you think they need to hear. And they're probably going to bolt <laughs> out of the meeting, but at least you've said everything. No, it's about how it's received. It's about it's how it's integrated and interpreted into their own beliefs and values. It's not an intervention. It's actually a conversation where the, the, the customer receives is more important than what the salesperson says. And... One thing about my book, by the way, since you brought it up, is that it's the first selling book that really introduces this approach in the form of a fiction novel. It's a story. It's got a plot. It's got romance. It's got suspense. Why did I do that? You know, Why did I go through making a story out of this selling approach instead of just talking about the principles like I am in this podcast? Well, because of what I said earlier, the salesperson's the learner, not the teacher. Well, where do salespeople learn? We learn from conversation. We learn from dialogue. Absolutely. We learn from the interaction. So instead of teaching the principles, I wrote the book so that they emerge from dialogues between the characters. So salespeople can actually have the experience of seeing how to learn from conversation. Absolutely. And story is one of the most absolutely powerful ways to learn. And um, if we think back to just what we've learned over the course of our lifetime, most of us, most things we know, we know through story. And most conversations that we have are through story. And yet sometimes we try to teach people and train people by just listing information and think that we're educating them. And in fact, if we were to communicate it in a story, it's more powerful. You know, you could come in and say, we have feature X and it does this and it has these statistics. Or we could come into a sales conversation and say, you know, I had a client very similar to you and they were experiencing this problem and we did X, Y, and Z, and here's the result that they experienced. And they had this statistic growth. And actually our average with most customers is this other statistic. And suddenly I'm, I'm giving that exact information that I could have just listed off in a really factual way, mm-hmm. or I could tell that story and which is more compelling to people. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, I could tell you a story right now <laughs> that uh, one of the insights that I had in creating this whole selling approach came out of a sale that I lost. Mm -hmm. And what happened was I really beat up my manager to try to get the lowest price possible. We were actually going to lose money on the deal, but it was a big chain of stores. So I thought it was worth it to do a lost leader this once. And I, I called the guy up and I was so excited about having the lowest price around. I told the buyer, I have the lowest price. This is how much I could sell it to you for. And the buyer hears me and says, well, then you must be using the cheapest raw materials. And hangs up the phone. And that, after that happened, I started thinking about it. So, you know, there's two conversations going on. You know, I'm having this one conversation with the customer thinking he's going to be really happy about what a low price I'm offering. But 
that, well, let's call that conversation A, <laughs> the conversation between me and my customer. That's what everyone talks about in traditional sales training. And what I realized, this insight I had after losing the sale was there's a conversation B that I never really paid attention to. It's mm -hmm. a conversation going on between the customer's ears. <laughs> and it's more important. And I wasn't paying attention to that. And very few salespeople do. And that was the whole genesis of the selling to the point approach was like, well, wait a minute, this conversation B. Traditional sales training calls it a black box, but you know, how does it work? What are the principles? How do I influence it? And that's what we're talking about today came from a sale that I lost. But since <laughs> I decided to be the learner, I got more out of it probably than if I got the sale. Yeah. And now you're teaching all of us. Now, yeah. you know, I think so often we are so focused on ourselves and on our organizations. And like you said, you know, you're fighting internally and you think I'm fighting for this deal. And actually um, the thing that you were so focused on, the customer actually not even didn't care about, but actually um, it, it, it harmed you. And I think so often if we don't know what the customer values, we are, we're sabotaging ourselves um, completely unintentionally. And that's just such a powerful, it's funny, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure at the time it was not, but um, the important thing is when you can learn from a lesson like that, because the worst is when you have that situation happen and you just say, you know, woe is me, life is hard, sales is hard, and you don't learn from it. Yeah. In selling, the best learners are going to be the best performers. Definitely. You might learn it, you know, you might lose one deal, mm -hmm. but you're certainly not going to lose that same way again. Yeah. You're going to might lose a few battles, but you'll win the war. Definitely. All right. Well, um, I mentioned in the very intro that our theme for the month of September is sales playbooks. And we're talking about kind of what a sales playbook is and why teams need them and how to build them. And I think you will have a really unique approach here. I'd love to hear from you. How do you think teams could integrate the key ideas of selling to the point in their sales playbooks? Well, you could kind of tell from what I'm talking about. I'm kind of a spontaneous uh, person in terms of uh, having, you know, trying to impose as little uh, predetermined uh, scripts as possible mm -hmm. for the sales call. But while you're observing, it's very important to be able to come up with questions that are going to really help the sale, help your customer focus and help your customer get in touch with their needs and get in touch with their uh, you know, potential self-limiting beliefs that might be preventing them from making the best decision. So it's these questions that I think are a very important part of the playbook that uh, any salesperson would use. A lot of the questions you're going to be coming up with spontaneously, but then other questions you might want to uh, use to focus the customer's attention in a certain direction. You know, perhaps they overlooked something, or perhaps you as a salesperson know that when customers are making a decision, they typically, there's something that they typically overlook. And by asking a question, you could you put their attention on it. The reason asking questions is so important is because it allows salespeople to learn and influence the conversation, but help keeping the process internal. You know, the, the customer is the one in control at all times, and they should be. And you couldn't take that from the customer if you wanted to. The, the customer's really in control. And the questions will be a window into the customer's conversation B, into that black box to show the salesperson, well, what is their thinking? Uh, what standards are they using to make this decision? What are the uh, considerations? Uh, what previous experience have they had buying a product in the same category? These mm -hmm. are different things that are going to uh, 
help a salesperson be able to respond in a way that the customer is going to be most receptive to hearing. So I think the most important part of a salesperson's playbook are really open, targeted questions. It's an art to be able to ask the right questions. And it's something that salespeople should be prepared to do with every interaction. I absolutely love that. And I think that's such a powerful distinction, a couple of them. First of all, that you shouldn't necessarily have scripts. And I think so often we see, you know, if a customer says this, then you say this. And if a customer says this, then you say this. That makes you sound like a robot. And you could actually be replaced by a robot. And so if you as a salesperson don't want to be replaced by a robot, you need to do things that robots can't do. And part of that is right now still having um, an interactive, powerful conversation. And I love that distinction that you had. These need to be targeted questions, but open-ended. Because a lot of times people ask yes, no questions, or they ask um, open-ended questions that are so open, you know, what keeps you up at night? With my upset stomach. I've talked a lot lately. (laughs) Right? But but if you ask a very targeted question that's still open-ended, you know, what concern, what problems have you had with implementing programs like this in the past? And then somebody will talk about their implementation experience or we've never implemented something like this in the past. Uh Or we tried something very similar and it didn't work out. And I'm really concerned that we're going to have that same problem again. Now you can talk about your implementation process in a way that helps somebody discover that you have a better approach than um, than they were expecting in the past. So that's such a great distinction. Um, For listeners, we will include a link in the show notes for um, a a resource called a problem opportunity matrix. And we have an ebook that we've written about this and a problem opportunity matrix is a tool that helps you build out a list of open-ended targeted questions that'll help expose if people have problems that your features can solve. So I'll include that in the show notes. Deb Calvert, uh, Deb Calvert has a book, by the way, for salespeople, which is nothing but questions. <laughs> it's called uh, Discover Questions. And it, it's a book that's just full of questions that salespeople could ask customers to help discover uh, what to say in order to help the customers make the best decision. Definitely. Um, speaking of that book, what are some of your favorite sales and business growth books that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, I, I'd recommend reading The Inner Game of Tennis. I'm sorry, but you know, that really has to do a lot with mindset for performance and you know how salespeople could really clear the mind and become much more aware and spontaneous and be better at interacting with the customer. That's, that's like my, my Bible. Uh, I, I love Deb's book. Is, mm-hmm. uh, is very inspiring. Um, and those are my two favorites. Um, some other questions. One question that I like to ask customers sometimes is about their decision process and maybe even helping the customer take a step back to when did you first decide that you needed a product in this category? And just, yes. you know, take them through the steps they've already been through just so we can learn and also make sure that, that, you know, the customer is clear on how they got to that point where they're sitting in front of you now. Uh, a lot of salespeople try to avoid that because it's like, oh, you know, why bring up something <laughs> that, that might jeopardize the sale if the customer goes, oh, yeah, maybe I don't need this. But <laughs> it's but it's very important if if the salesperson adopts the role of learner. We ask a whole different set of questions that are uh, more explorational and actually safer. And for the customer, where we're not leading the customer, but we're really trying to uh, help because the salesperson has the expertise. That's what we offer Mm -hmm. in the team, in the salesperson customer team, we're the ones that understand the product. We understand the category. We've seen, you know, many customers already in the decision process. We've seen the results of so sometimes that decision works out better than others. So we really have all this knowledge that we can share with the customer. And the customer has the resources. You know, the customer's in charge of, of making the decision, uh, paying the 
demand for the product. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's really a team. And when a salesperson is presenting themselves that way, so look, I am here to help you make the best decision. And I've been selling this product for many years. And so this is what I can offer to you. Uh, it's, it's a huge, we talk about salespeople with providing value. And, and this is the value that we can provide for salespeople is elevating the quality of their decisions. And, and by the way, this just doesn't apply to selling. I mean, as, as salespeople, we're going to learn the art of decision coaching. This goes a long way in a lot of our personal lives, too, because we're very uh, invested in the quality of the decisions that people we care about are making all the time, our wives, Absolutely. other partners. And when it comes to quality of life, no factor is more important than the quality of the decisions we make. I mean, our, our income status, the neighborhood we live in, the friends we hang out with, how much education we have, these are all based on decisions that we've made. So if, if a salesperson can make a positive impact in this uh, decision process of others, it, it's really the most valuable thing that somebody can offer to someone else. I absolutely love that framework. And I feel like you probably could get an entire other book about that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll volunteer you to write that book. But, um, you know, when it comes to ourselves, the the judgments we make on ourselves and the quality of your life, you know, the decision you make literally, um, got to get this back to what everybody's always saying, you know, um, what you're eating, uh, what, how you're exercising, you know, your lifestyle, um, the decision you make about what you're going to study in college, about where you're going to live, about who you're going to spend time with, um, you know, at a friendship level, at a, at a relationship level, um, what job you're going to take are decisions over and over and over again. They they accumulate, they add up, and that's what creates the life that you have. And so if you can enable other people to make good decisions, that's a service that you're providing to them. That's a way you're contributing to them. And that that makes you feel good about yourself. You know, every time we make a good decision and we know we made a good decision, I feel good when I make a good decision. I feel smart. I feel like I made a, a good choice. I feel like I'm, um, you know, becoming the person that I want to be. I'm living the lifestyle that I want. And if I can enable other people to feel that way, that's a really great way to feel. I don't feel like a dirty, slimy salesperson, like people have that connotation. Yeah. Instead, I feel like a contributor in the world. And that's a really great place to be. Oh, sure. If somebody wants to, uh, I mean, salespeople are taught all the time that you want the customer to like you and think you're smart and trust you and think that. You can just tell them what to do and have them feel good about you. But what about a person who helps the customer feel good about themselves? What about mm -hmm. the people in our lives that are very successful at helping others feel good about themselves rather than making sure people feel good about them? It's, it's a cliche, but something we always say is to be interesting be interested. And you could have a conversation with somebody and all you do is ask them questions about themselves and they are going to think you are the most interesting person they've ever met. And they might not have learned anything about you, but they could tell that you cared about yeah. them. And people notice that and appreciate yeah. it. And they would say, I had a great time with this person. They didn't hear anything about you, but they were so engaged about talking about themselves that they had a, <laughs> felt they had a wonderful time. And that that's great. Definitely. Um, well, here at, Criter here at Let's Talk Sales, we are focused on providing actionable best practices that our listeners can apply to their lives. So do you have an actionable tip that you would recommend for our listeners today? Yes. Well, I call it my three C's. <laughs> the three C's of optimal decision making. And actually, during this conversation, we, we talked about two out of the three C's. Uh, the first was confidence. Okay. And mm -hmm. again, decision-making, buying is an internal process. So we're talking about internal confidence, which is the customer's self-confidence in their ability as yeah. a decision-maker. The second C we also talked about, which is clarity. And again, 
decision-making is internal. So we're talking about internal clarity, which is the customer's self-awareness rather than the customer's awareness about your product. It's the customer being aware and in touch about their needs, their pain, their goals, uh, this type of self-awareness, which is very important. And the third thing we didn't talk mm -hmm. about so much, but it's um, internal choice. And basically, it's the customer's self-empowerment, where usually we talk about choice in terms of, I want to talk to the person who's highest on the company org chart. Mm -hmm. They have the most decision-making <laughs> ability. They have the most choice. Well, that's external choice. Okay, what if you sit down with that executive and they say, oh, yeah, but uh, I have to answer questions for the board and I have to um, have these shareholders or are after me right now and they want my head on the silver platter and then I have regulators to deal with. I can't make any decisions. They have low internal choice. They, they're disempowered on the inside and can't make decisions. So helping for a salesperson to help the customer's internal choice, in, in other words, to offer a greater range of options to solve problems is the third of the three C's. So that's my actionable item is whenever you're, you're talking to a customer, you hear an objection, you see that you're saying all the right things, but the customer still doesn't quite see the value of the decision you're proposing. Look at it through the three C's. Do they have sufficient internal clarity? Do they have sufficient internal confidence? Do they have sufficient internal choice? And looking at it that way and then providing each of these three C's is going to help coach them to make higher quality decisions. I absolutely love that. I'm terrible at coming up with, um, you know, three C's and other things like that. So first of all, I admire that you did that. But um, we haven't talked about choice. So I just want to touch on one thing um, kind of to build on what you said is that a lot of times if we're targeting the wrong people just because we think they have a C in front of their title, they might not actually be connected to the needs and the concerns of the people a few levels below them who actually would be the ones who would use your product or service. And so you're actually doing yourself a significant disservice because while they may be able to sign on the dotted line, they don't even know what they're looking for because they they would never use what it is that you're selling. So you really need to think about the people that you're talking to when it comes to the choice. You know, Are they enabled to make the choice? And do they have any of the information or experience that would actually contribute to them even knowing what kind of a choice they need yeah. to make? Because both of those factors are important. Yes. And each of these three C's, by the way, has an opposite interfering factor. So the, the opposite mm -hmm. of choice are self-limiting beliefs. So when a customer mm -hmm. has a self-limiting belief, they're going to have a lower level of internal choice. Again, the example I gave customer thinks that the board is after him. So because of that self-limiting belief, he's not going to make uh, that many decisions. Uh, in, the, in the example Absolutely. you gave, the customer didn't have a sense of other people that it's going to affect. So uh, they're going to have a self-limiting belief in terms of um, you know, I can't make a decision thinking about other people. So my decisions are just going to be very narrow in terms of what works for me rather than what works for my team. Um, the opposite, by the way, of internal confidence is self-doubt. So self-doubt mm -hmm. interfere with internal confidence. So if, you, if you're a salesperson and you notice self-doubt, you know to see their needing is confidence and the and lack of self-awareness interferes with internal clarity. So mm -hmm. if you notice the customer doesn't have a clear goal, if they're distracted, if they're confused, you know that it's internal clarity that you need to offer in order to help the customer make the best decision. 
I think it's always actually helpful to understand the opposite of something because that is actually a very compelling way to understand something better. Um, Sometimes if you don't understand a concept that you can hear its opposite, that actually helps you understand the concept even better. So thank you for sharing those opposites. I think that's very helpful for our listeners. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for everything that you shared today. um, today. Yes. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Go to my website, www.sellingtothepoint.com. All one word. I have a, um, I have a course, a distance learning course that will have to actually creating the questions that would help your customers make better decisions for your own selling situation. And then, of course, read my book, Selling to the Point, uh, which is available on Amazon. All right. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much, Jeff Lipsius, for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you um, for all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that we've been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 183. Be sure to tune in next week for our interview with the founder of Growth Acumen, Stephen Norman. And in the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational quote, where Michaela will be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions you'd like us to address, guests that you'd recommend we speak to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show and lets us know what's working and where to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!